Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 166, Sarek. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we examine an episode of Star Trek, looking it over for messages and ideas that may or may not work into our daily lives today. This week, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, is it it's, uh, Sarek? Is it uh, Sarek? No, no, Ken, it's, it's, it's Sarek. Should I know who that is? Yeah, well, see, we, we met him before. Yeah? He's, yeah. He's, I, you may not remember this because it's kind of, you know, it's a very minor thing. He's he, he's Spock's father. Really? <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. I, you know, it's terrible. I am so bad with character names. I guess I should have known that. I mean, you know, if it's an important character like uh, um, Minuet mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, Leah Brahms mm, yeah. or, uh, yeah. or uh, Moriarty. Yeah, see, there was a show before The Next Generation called Star Trek, and uh, there was an episode called Journey to Babel, mm-hmm. and uh, we met Spock's father, hmm. Sarek. Yeah. Hmm. Really? Yeah. yeah, maybe she should just stick around for trivia. Did, did uh, we actually do that on Mission yeah. Log? <laughs> we did. Huh. We did a very long, long time <laughs> ago. just crazy. Stick around for trivia. I'll, well, to, I'll, I'll get you up to speed on it. I'll yeah. make a deal. I'll stick around for trivia if you'll let me tell people how to get in touch with us. I love that deal. All right. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. That's all one word, by the way. I mean, it's not really, but it is. Mission Log Pod. Um, you can leave us a voicemail, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. We have a show website that we would love for you to check out. Uh, missionlogpodcast.com is where you find that. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And now, I am so looking forward to learning about this Serac guy. <laughs> and it's, it, it's Sarek. Ah, Sarek, right. Okay. Name of the episode, too. John Champion's trivia, everybody. Let's hear it for him. <laughs> Today's episode is written by Peter S. Beagle. He also gets the credit for the teleplay. But the story was a pitch by Mark Cushman and Jake Jacobs. Now, you may know Mark Cushman's name since he has written These Are the Voyages, the exhaustive production histories of the original series, season by season. Cushman had met Roddenberry years earlier while conducting an interview, and they stayed in touch, and that's how he made the pitch. Now, it is uncredited, but Ira Stephen Bear and Ronald D. Moore gave this script a page one rewrite is exactly what it sounds like. They started with page one and rewrote the whole thing. Today's episode is directed by Les Landau. We have talked about him before. See previous episodes of Next Generation. Now, that original story idea kicked around was simply about an older statesman who was advancing in years and losing his abilities. That morphed into a Vulcan, and then finally that became Sarek himself. Now, this was all very touchy. 
we know that NextGen had a kind of rule that got violated all the time about how much TOS reference could be in the show, the answer being not much. Now approaching the end of the third season, it was about time that they could reference other characters and plot points. It was Ira Stephen Bear who really pushed for it, constantly asking Rick Berman why they couldn't do it. And then Rick finally relented and they were able to work in Sarek as this character. And more importantly, there is a moment of mentioning his son and his first wife. Only later in the episode do we even hear the name Spock. That was something that Ira really fought for to say, well, we have to name him who this person is. And there's another point to the character that wasn't lost on producers, uh, Michael Piller in particular. They all had tremendous respect for Gene Roddenberry as the creator of Star Trek and as the boss. But they also started to notice a decline in his faculties as he aged and his health started to decline. Remember, this is early approaching mid-1990 and uh, Gene had been working less and less on Next Generation at this point. Now, Picard's meltdown scene as he has the mind of Sarek, that was one shot, not unlike the scene in The Naked Time in which Spock is losing his mind. Now, let's talk about guest stars. Joanna Miles as Sarek's wife, Perrin. Uh, like a lot of actors who got their start in the late 50s, she did stage work in New York that led to TV and film appearances, unlike a lot of actors. She was born in France in 1940. Her mother was an artist, Jean Miles, who studied in Tahiti and ultimately Paris. As war broke out, the family hid in monasteries in the French countryside until they could make it back to the States safely. Now, one of Joanna's standout acting achievements was her performance as Laura in the 1973 TV version of The Glass Menagerie, co-starring Catherine Hepburn, Sam Waterston, and Michael Moriarty, one of the definitive versions of that Tennessee Williams play, and probably one that you, Ken, and a lot of people listening to this podcast have seen. William Dennis played Kai Mandrosen, another actor with a very large theater pedigree, just a handful of TV credits to his name. We also have Rocco Sisto, who is playing Sakaf. Now, Rocco is an Italian-born actor and has had a steady career in TV and film, appearing as young junior in The Sopranos. He had a recurring role on Law & Order, as well as parts in movies like Donnie Brasco and Carlito's Way. And finally, Mark Leonard. Now, of course, we have said much about Mark Leonard and his portrayal of Sarek. He created the role when he made one very memorable appearance in the original series with Journey to Babel, uh, preceded that by his playing the Romulan commander in Balance of Terror. Later, he would play a Klingon, then return to playing Sarek uh, in Star Trek Three, Star Trek Four, And uh, this isn't the last time either. In strict chronological order, uh, he has an appearance coming up in Star Trek Six in 1991 and his final Star Trek appearance in a later episode of Next Generation. He made one more TV appearance in 1993, which was on an episode of In the Heat of the Night, before his death from cancer in 1996. The Titan tension you sense is because there is a Vulcan on the Enterprise. However, there is no need to worry. This one is not smiling. Prologue. The Enterprise is set to play host to the first official meeting between the Federation and the Lagarans. Who are they? Alien race doesn't matter. Brokering the meeting is Ambassador Sarek. Yes, THE Sarek, father of Spock. 
Yes, the Spock. The Enterprise is picking up Sarek, his Earther wife Perrin, and his entourage of two, a sort of road manager, Kimandrosen, human, and a personal assistant, Sakith, Vulcan. Apparently this is Sarek's farewell tour. He'll be retiring after handling the meeting with the Lagarans. Picard is really excited to have Sarek aboard, though, kind of like Bart's first time at Camp Krusty, Sarek's road manager tells Picard that Sarek won't be saying anything or doing anything. He won't even be able to sit through the Mozart recital planned in his honor. Kimandrosen says all official activities are off. When Sarek beams aboard, he needs to go straight to his quarters. With that, Sarek and Perrin are beamed aboard. She asks that they be shown straight to their quarters, though Sarek wants to see the conference room first. His wife and staff tried to talk Sarek out of it, but he insists. Riker, Sarek, and his posse head to the conference room as we head to the open credits. Act 1. Wesley Crusher and Geordi LaForge are working on a pool of liquid in which the Lagarans will sit for their meeting. Boy, does it smell! <laughs> it's good to make fun of other cultures. Wes would like to wrap up, by the way. He's got a hot date. Geordi's impressed. In come Picard, Sarek, and his posse. While he tries to play it cool as a Vulcan, Sarek is obviously concerned that the room is not ready. Picard assures him that it will be. Perrin and Kim and Drosen assure him that it will be. Finally, his Vulcan assistant, Sackett, suggests letting everybody get back to work. Sarek says, Okay. Room's not ready, though. On the bridge, something is troubling Picard and Riker about the way Sarek's staff coddles him. He seems fine. They'll abide by Mendrosen's wishes, though Picard is bummed. He had hoped to pal around with Sarek a bit. Counselor Troy suggests the captain go ahead and ask Perrin if she would like to go to the Mozart recital planned in Sarek's honor. Sounds like a plan. In Sarek's quarters, Perrin tells Picard how taken Sarek is with Picard's career. He finds it to be satisfactory. Something Picard reads is the highest praise he could get. And you wonder why it took a face full of spores for Spock to be happy. Anyway, Picard wants to know if Perrin and Sarek would like to go to the concert. She thanks him and says she'll run it by Sarek. Perrin goes to check on Sarek. He still can't meditate. Hasn't been able to for weeks. Well, maybe if you leave me alone. Back in the conference room, Wes and Geordi are fighting. Not fist fighting, but lobbing insults. You're stupid to think anything's going to happen on this date, says Geordi. Well, at least my dates aren't holograms, says Wesley. Seriously, if Riker hadn't come in right then, one of them would have hit the other one. Act 2. Getting ready for the recital, Riker tells Picard of the near-physical altercation he interrupted between Geordi and Wes. Other random point, Worf is in the process of writing up Ensign D'Amato for insubordination. Probably not related, I wouldn't worry about it. Time now for a little night music. Actually, the string quartet, led by Data, will play something by Mozart. Maybe Ein Kleine Nacht music, maybe something else. It is a concert, after all. To everyone's surprise, Sarek has decided to join the show. And they begin. It's all going great until... Hmm. Deanna senses something. Or really, she senses Sacketh sensing something. Sarek is crying. And with that, Sarek and his posse get up and get out, though not before Picard catches a glimpse of Sarek's cheek wet with tears. Or tear. Cut to Beverly Crusher, angrily drinking tea. Wes heard she wanted to see him, which is kind of true. What she actually wants to do is yell at him. She thought he was going to be at the concert last night. What the heck? The captain asked about him. She had to cover. Wes is all my date, who is totally not a hologram, by the way, wanted to do something else, so we did. The whole thing ends with Beverly slapping Wesley. Cut to Beverly telling Deanna about slapping Wesley. Yeah, that's going around. 
unexplained fits of anger, not people slapping Wesley. Though you could understand if... <clears throat> On the bridge, Data is showing Sagath around. Sagath's making small talk. Nice bridge, like your command center. Say, could Troy or Picard handle negotiations between the Lagarans and the Federation if need be? Small talk. In 10 forward, a bit of hostility leads to a Cyrano Jones-style bar fight. Thankfully, the screen time for this one is about one twentieth the length of the troubling Tribble fight. Act 3. Ten Ford is a wreck, and Deanna and Beverly are bringing Picard up to speed. Fights and hostility have been breaking out all over the ship. Well, this is bad timing. Sarek is on board. The Lagarans are coming. We need to keep the Ambassador away from all of this. That's when Beverly lowers the boom. This has something to do with Sarek. It all started when he and his posse arrived. Deanna tells Picard what she sensed during the concert, when Picard saw Sarek cry. She thinks he lost control. Beverly thinks Sarek may have Bendai Syndrome, a rare condition that affects Vulcans over 200 years old, which Sarek is. Sudden outbursts of emotion, often irrational anger. These are early symptoms of Bendai. Eventually, all emotional control is lost. Okay, maybe, but why would this affect the others on the ship? Deanna says Vulcans possess telepathic abilities. Sarek may be accidentally broadcasting his emotional turmoil randomly at other people on the Enterprise. Beverly says they could run a test, but that would take days. The Lagarans get here in 12 hours, and Picard starts trying to delay the meeting. Keeman Drosen says, no dice. No delay can be allowed. Relax, though. It'll all be good. Sarek is fine. And you're jeopardizing your career if you push this. Picard sends Data to talk to Sacketh instead. Listen, Captain Picard is not sure Sarek is up for meeting with the Lagarans. He does not trust Mendrosen's assurance. Reminding you that you are a Vulcan, so you are pretty much under oath every minute of every day of your entire life. Is Sarek up to it? Boxed in by logic, Sacketh has to admit that the mission is in jeopardy. Turns out Sacketh has been using his telepathic ability to sort of support Sarek. Lately, though, that's not working as well, hence the outbursts on the Enterprise. The strain of the mission has made it impossible. Even in the 24th century, Picard says, Getting old sucks. What Data doesn't get is why a logic machine like Sarek wouldn't take himself out of the game. Picard figures Sarek doesn't see it, and he is being shielded from it by his peeps. Somebody has to tell Sarek. A discussion that escalates to Picard and Riker yelling at each other on the bridge in front of everyone. Luckily, Data's able to snap them out of it, but stuff's getting real on the bridge of the Enterprise. Picard goes to tell Perrin what's up. She either doesn't believe or doesn't want to believe. Picard says Sacketh knows, though she says it's not true. She tells Picard that Sarek doesn't have Bendai, and that is that. Except for the part where Sarek heard Perrin try to shut Picard down. Got something to say, Picard? Act 4. Yeah, um, you've got Bendai Syndrome. Wow, I've been called a lot of things, says Sarek, but too emotional? Never been on that list. Sarek's posse tries to end the conversation, but Sarek logically wants to assuage the captain's fears. He's willing to take the test for Bendai Syndrome, though Picard says that'll take too much time. They have to postpone the conference. Sarek says, no, look at me, I'm fine. Well, yeah, because Sacken's doing that thing that... Ooh, Sarek didn't know he was doing... Awkward... Sarek sends everyone out except Picard, and like Jim Kirk talking to a computer, Picard's got Sarek broken in no time. He is an emotional wreck. Act 5. 
no way Sarah can do the meeting with the Lagarans. Picard will have to let them know personally. Hey, before you do that, Perrin makes one more pass at letting Sarek handle the meeting. Let him keep the respect he's earned. She says the Bendai thing happened so slowly that she and Mendrosen sort of talked themselves out of seeing it. Then, there they were, and now... Well, now... She'd like the captain's help to let Sarek keep his status in the form of a mind meld. Sarek is not a fan of the idea. They would basically be one mind. Sure, he would have Picard's control, but Sarek's head is like a bag of Salots right now. Unchecked, his emotions could wreck Picard. But Picard says it's the only logical thing to do. They do it. The mind meld. And thanks to a good deal of work by Patrick Stewart, we see the emotions Sarek's been holding in for most of his 202 years on the planets. What the Lagarans see is a Sarek as emotionless and logical as ever. The negotiations are successful. Goodbyzer said, Sarek says, he doubts they'll meet again, but he and Picard will always carry the best parts of each other in their minds. Picard says, he's pretty sure he got the better part of that deal. The end. Again, I suppose this is as good a time as any for me to uh, thank you. Uh, whenever we're in Vegas at a convention appearance, something like that, that you use your mind powers to uh, keep me in control. <laughs> wait you know? a minute. I yeah. thought you were doing that to me. Oh, wait a minute. I what? thought you were doing that to me. Oh, oh that's boy, great. this is embarrassing. It is. I wonder what we're going to be like next year or next mm. time, whenever. Like a, like a bag full of Salots. Like a bag. <laughs> thank Both you. I, I love like that. That's way. great. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. That's I know great. I made up that line. I shouldn't be like, I love that line, but I love that line. Well, it's a terrible Christmas gift. But <laughs> Bag it's of a Salots? great idea. Yeah. It is. And nobody it wants is. that. Nobody no, they don't. That. But have you tried the Salot jerky? Ooh. Mm. Boy, that sounds good. Yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Wesley has a date <laughs> with a girl who is not a shape-shifting mutant that he knows of I was going to say, that we know yeah. of, right? Yeah. 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 Wes has a date, and uh, Sarek has a type. Boy, does he. <laughs> That's interesting, right? right? What's up with that? Yeah, I mean, how, go ahead. Yeah. Well, how how does Sarah keep marrying human wives? Because that mm-hmm. must be the worst courtship ever. Um, why? Well, I mean, you say keeps marrying. It's only two. Well, but yeah. Well, but that we know about. Some, there's time and effort and work put yeah. into that. I don't you know. know. I have no idea. I mean, Vulcans are a tiny bit telepathic. So, I mean, he met, he meets Amanda. He falls in love with Amanda. Amanda dies because, you know, she's yeah. human and he's Vulcan and he's going to live to be 202 at least, maybe more than right. that. Right. Um, but, you know, he can read people's thoughts. So maybe Perrin is just like Amanda Light or Amanda 2.0. And so he's which, just like, oh, yeah, I know exactly how to win her, which will be good because. Hardly seems fair. <laughs> <laughs> but he loves her, though, and she loves him. And that's made clear throughout the episode. So he does. He does. Yeah. And, it, and he'll just like, hmm, I, I'll just play the uh, cool, detached type and see if she likes that oh look she does good thing because i'm vulcan and i'm very cool and detached all the time that is what we're supposed to do yeah um i, I love the line uh she who is my wife mm-hmm. I, I like that and they're just going to use that for everything now on like you know can he who is my co-host oh <laughs> thank know? goodness i thought you were gonna say can he who is my wife and i'm like dude don't uh, you can't yet. use that for everything no hey, don't judge not don't ever judge. dude no but, hey but, look no. i'm just saying <laughs> <sighs> Um, about that Jordy and Wesley showdown. Yeah. God, what a fun scene that is. Yeah, they're, they're under the influence, but, but, but there's truth in there. 
I think, what they're saying to each other. And that's the fun part of it. And then you have to wonder, does that come back and haunt them later? Is this a moment where they, they actually remember what they said to each other? I, I was on? wondering about that, too. Like, that should actually be next week's episode. It really should. I know it won't be. Listen, number one, I said some things on the bridge. You said, please. And you should have heard what I was thinking, which Troy did, by the way. So if she tells you, don't worry about it. Yeah. And then Wes and, Wes and Jordi are just going to be like, boy, that was uh, – and a whole bar full of people. Mm-hmm. A whole mm-hmm. bar full of people as well just got to a point where they're like, you know what? Those guys are punching each other. And that reminds me, I hate you. Oh, <laughs> and so they just start hitting each other apparently because, Yeah. Yeah, well, because they all saw, they all saw uh, Trouble with Tribbles, and they're like, that looks like fun. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. We don't know what a wild party is, but we know what a 20-minute bar fight is. We know a bar like. fight when we see one, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and really, and poor Jordy, because nobody, including Jordy himself, will let this Leah Brahms thing go. You know, so here's he's the thing. He's already referenced it before. Right, he's referenced it before, and obviously with a little bit of embarrassment, but he also apparently, I mean, you could actually extrapolate a bit about his relationship with Wes mm-hmm. in that Wes mm-hmm. actually knows that Jordy had a hologram girlfriend. Which he should not, just Wesley should not know. Well, they're pals. Yeah. They're yeah. pals, they're chatting, whatever. But man, you know, when you get a little Vulcan anger, out come the claws and the secrets. Right. Yeah, right. So be careful about that. Um, yeah. I had a question about this whole meeting with the Lagarins thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his name? Sarek, what's his name? <laughs> that guy. Yeah, star of the show. Uh, Sarek says that he's been working on this deal for 93 years. He's been working on this meeting for 93 years. Now, what I had to wonder is, is he talking about his career is like 93 years being a Federation ambassador? Mm-hmm. Because we know that, um, you know, the 1701 was flying around like 81, 82 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And he was already an ambassador at that point. It's hard for me to imagine that he's actually been working on this one deal for 93 years because they list off all of the different things that he's done. Uh, Well, not all of them, but Riker's like, oh, he did this thing, he did this thing, the Klingon Alliance, as if that's like the the one you might forget. Right. You know what I mean? But he's been doing other stuff. I mean, like, like, is he constantly working on deals or was he just saying, ah, my whole career has been my whole career for 93 years and now it comes to this. Right. <laughs> well, I, I I kind of had the impression, if if I were to try to make this work out of my head, I had the impression that what was happening was that Sarek, over the course of ninety three years, he's doing all of his other stuff. He's doing all the other work of an ambassador and and doing a just a bang up job at it. Mm-hmm. But he's also laying the groundwork for this meeting. You know, the Ligarens, they, you know, you and I have been in corporate environments where, where you wish that things would move more quickly than they actually did. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is one of those times. And maybe, maybe they know, the Federation knows that they have to get a guy like, um, like Sarek because, well, this is going to take forever. Get a guy who will live to at least 200. <laughs> That's a funny idea, yeah. You know? Hey, yes. I was up next. Eh, Bob, this one's going to take a while. What? I'm only 30. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But you're just... human, and you will be dead long before this deal is ready to roll. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, man, the, the crying Vulcan. What a great, great scene. It, it's such a powerful piece of imagery, just no matter what. It, the, the crying Indian, or flip that on its head, the laughing Jesus, or the laughing Vulcan, which we've seen before <laughs> as well. Um, but this is this is one of the great things that Star Trek can do because by this point now you've got you know more than a twenty year history, and you've got characters who are known, 
And the writing here really leads up to this point that you can get across so much in one moment and the audience immediately knows what's going on. Uh, This was an episode that I remembered very well watching before, Mm -hmm. and I've seen it many times since it originally aired. So the thing that I love about that scene is is the the imagery is so powerful. It doesn't... it doesn't matter what the characters are saying because they're not saying anything at that point. But the audience knows because the audience has been there with those characters for so long. And the audience knows what a Vulcan is supposed to be. And you can get across so much with that one simple action. That's mm-hmm. really true. It's real. It's a kind of payoff for the audience who has been there and knows this character and knows the background that then it's, it's shocking and I kind of wish that I could go back to that point when that was new, when I was seeing it for the first time, the the surprise at seeing the great Sarek with that one tear. Hmm. That's pretty heavy, dude. Yeah. You surprised, well, you surprised me doing that here because, you know, usually it's like, hey, what was up with the thing that guy was wearing? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, but the reason I did it here is because I, I, I feel like when we get to the later discussion, that really is a discussion. To me, this is yeah. just like, here, here's a powerful moment. Yeah. And here's a moment that I love. It doesn't need more discussion other than to say, here's why I loved it. Gotcha. Yeah. But it, uh, it, it's strong. It's a great moment. Let yeah. me give you something trivial. In fact, sure, I'm a little ahead. surprised it didn't turn up in trivia, although I guess you weren't making the I'm Klein and Noth music joke, so you wouldn't care. <laughs> um, uh, though Data and company are supposed to be playing a concert of Mozart, the piece that brings Sarek to tears is the slow second movement of the sextet number one in B-flat major by Johannes Brahms. Uh, which requires six instruments, not the four that we see, although the initial piece is indeed part of the Mozart Quartet for strings, number 19 in C. Uh, so says Memory Alpha. Wow, well, source of all knowledge. Yeah. I know if I, if I left it, it's just uh, a little yeah. night music. People would be like, um, excuse me. <laughs> it was, uh, well, some of it was Brahms. I don't even know what was happening there. But, you know, yeah. Wow. That, that's, that's intense, man. That was good. Yeah. I, I, I play deep. When I, when I bother to do trivia... <laughs> <laughs> you need a bathoscope to find the references I'm pulling up. You do. Um, my favorite line uh, in the episode, my favorite little bit of dialogue is uh, uh, Dr. Crusher confessing to Deanna what, what just happened with her, her outburst with Wesley. She's feeling the effects of, of you know, the, the mental instability. She said, and then I just slapped Wesley. And Deanna, of course, says, well, on behalf of the entire crew, thank you. <laughs> Who hasn't? <laughs> well, I never had before. Well, welcome to the club now. We, we, we have a meeting. We have meetings every day, actually. Yeah, so. yeah. You, you want to try again? If you haven't, come back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm against the Punch Wesley Club, though, because that's taking mm. it too far. Yeah, that's no good. Do you think Sarek was crying because he was moved by the music? Or because Data could not tell the difference between a piece by Mozart and a piece by Brahms? Boy, you gotta love the lighthearted comedy episodes, huh, John? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love those when we have those. Yeah, they're they're fantastic, like this one. Oh, mm. the, the 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 funny part when uh, Picard says, "Ironic, isn't it? All of this magnificent technology, and yet we still find ourselves susceptible to the ravages of old age, loss of dignity, the slow betrayal of our bodies by forces we cannot master." Mm. Guys, a hoot. <laughs> 
Is that really the right use of the word irony? Isn't he just saying, is he ruminating like uh, to Riker, like, hey, here's something incredibly sad. Yeah, exactly. Well, Riker and Data standing yeah, there talking yeah. to a machine that will outlive his grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren mm-hmm. about how much it sucks to be human. And he does the whole thing. And I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm going to go back to this whole, should we really talk to Data about wanting this thing that he can't have so much? He's like, boy, you know, my, my, my body's going to go. I'm going to lose my hair one day, says Picard. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be terrible, this whole, right. are you sure you want to be human, Data? Uh, yeah. he's, he's right there. <laughs> <laughs> Do we really need to bring up to him how much he can't have the thing that he wants most? And, you know, then, of course, we have to worry about hurting his feelings because he has them. <clears throat> we're, we're more than 300 years into the future, and, and still we've, we've squashed any experiment that would move a human mind into a robot body. And well, I mean, that's that's a big Star Trek thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's because a gigantic... you would think, cause I, I thought about you during during this moment, and, and I thought about the idea that you know the follow up to that line is is either Data or Riker saying, "Hey, remember that guy who did the cool experiment where he moved his consciousness into the immortal robot body standing next to us?" <laughs> and Picard could have said, "Like, uh, no. I wasn't talking about that. No, no." no. I was I was going over all of the logs of all of the ships ever called Enterprise ever. Have you ever heard what happened to Spock's brain? <laughs> nope. nope. Hadn't heard nope, about that one. I hear it's kind of here. It's kind of awful, though. Brain. Yeah. Brain and brain. What? <clears throat> when it's brain. Yeah. Um, so we got an email regarding the deadly years just recently mm-hmm. um, that, that touched on the idea of questioning how we deal with our elders, with, with people who may be losing some of their faculties. And, and this is just an episode that really drives that home. Um, Sarek is not a problem to be solved, but, but rather his condition is something that is throughout considered, respected, sometimes denied and hidden, which seems like just all too human a reaction to what's going on. You know, you've got at least two Vulcans who are in on this. Um, and how we accept our own well, mortality. One, one Vulcan. There's one Vulcan in on it. Sarek doesn't oh, know right. what's happening he, to him. Sarek that, doesn't know. Key is not a Vulcan. Yeah, he's yeah. human, which I love, by the way. That's an excellent idea. And I don't that know is. whose idea that was, but, but Sarek turns to Sakath and says, is this true? And mm-hmm. Key's like, no, sir. Because you know what a human can do? lie with no problems whatsoever. Sagath, on the other hand, needs to keep his mouth shut because otherwise he's going to be like, no, it's not true. I've been doing this for months, dude. Yeah, if it had been another Vulcan instead of a human as key and asked if it was true, well, from a certain matter of perspective, it could be true, (laughs) but only if we, and then that would have been another half an hour gone. Right, true and true. What is true? Right, right. But, you know, the idea here of how we accept our own mortality or, or just our own slowing down, the, this is so thoroughly and completely about the idea of aging with dignity and kind of that, that fight for that last shred of dignity. It's, there's so much going on here that, that's really powerful. And obviously the clear parallel is Alzheimer's disease, whether it's, you know, specifically about Alzheimer's or those similar uh, uh dementia causing conditions in people and um you know that generally strike elderly people i i actually thought of ronald reagan while watching this and, and very much regardless of what anybody thought about his policies at the time that he was president or or governor of california he was a great statesman who led an extraordinary life 
And it was later revealed that his Alzheimer's had probably started while he was in office, toward the end of his years in office. Mm-hmm. And then because he was such a publicly known figure that there was a lot of media attention, the worse and worse he got. You know, I, I remember that very vividly seeing that in the news and how he was very much protected after he was out of office and that became public knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of backtrack and you wonder like, oh, OK, well, in the later years that he was in public, in the later years that he was in office, how much was sort of protected and groomed and how much did he know and how much of that was sort of colluded with the people around him to make sure that he was presenting his his best most statesmanlike face to the world mm-hmm. yeah. i'm not i mean i honestly i have a, i <laughs> regardless of politics i mean it almost sounds like you're romanticizing that whole thing and that kind of bothers me i'm um, well, uh, well but, but no i mean well no because here's is, what happened mendrosen threatened picard Mm-hmm. He threatened Picard, and I sort of glossed over that a tiny bit in the recap. Mm-hmm. But Picard has serious concerns. He has serious, you know, uh, concerns about how this is going to go with the Lagarans. Now, we're not dealing with the Romulans, we're not dealing with the Klingons, but we are dealing with something. This is sort of like step two on the whole first contact thing, right? We've talked to them before. Things seem okay. We're now going to get together officially, mm-hmm. and uh, and um, and and Picard's like, I'm not sure Sarek is up to it, and and Mendrosen's like, you know what? You could be captain of a garbage scowl. I'm not going to talk to Sarek about this. Don't worry about it. You're safe. But seriously, before you bring this up again, think about how much you like that chair you're sitting in. And 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 when you bring up Reagan, that's kind of the thing that I think about because it, and not to be terrible about it. And he certainly had not lost all of his faculties by the time he left office. But who knows who was president mm-hmm. <laughs> for the last couple of years of his administration? And that's, no, and, that's and yeah. I mean, when you say this whole thing is about, you know, growing old with dignity, um, Sarek's not doing that. Sarek's not even, I mean, he's being supported by other people. He doesn't even realize that there's anything wrong. And right. I mean, he finally is kind of able to do it, but uh, sadly, uh, only through magic. Right. Well, but see, that's what I think is so interesting about this. It, it, it is not just the idea of Sarek saying, well, I want to grow old with dignity. Sarek is unaware of his condition, right. at, at, le- at least at the beginning of this episode. So the question then is, what is dignity? How, how are other people applying and allowing dignity for this person who is losing control of himself? And is that really the right thing to do? You know, in their minds, of course, it's the right thing to do. They have to do this. They have to do this for the good of the mission, the good of the state. Mm -hmm. Um, But on a personal level, we get the impression very clearly that it was a wrong thing to do, you know, (laughs) that they they hid this condition from this man. And, And maybe the outcome would have been better. Maybe it would have been a more constructive thing. If he had been told early on, if he had been told at the first sign of this, hey, here's what's happening, then you question, well, would Sarek allow, would he allow another Vulcan to do what Sakath had been doing? Or would he move the mission to someone else? Yeah. Now, in his mind, there was nobody else, but, but would he have come up with another plan? I, I like, I mean, as much as, and forgive me, uh, the, whole, uh, the whole Reagan parallel, where that falls apart is you do get the impression that Sakath really was just giving and, and forgive me if using the term magic as well but i mean he really was mm-hmm. giving sarek just some of his strength mm-hmm. he was basically calming his mind he wasn't putting thoughts in his mind 
mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's that's uh, better, I think. Sure. Um, I will say there is one thing, and and I've heard people talk about this before as well. I will say there is one thing that I really do like in this episode. Mm-hmm. It's that uh, that Perrin says um, we didn't see it happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the longest time, yeah. they don't. I mean, because you say, wouldn't it have been better if they had told him immediately? Well, I mean, it's established in the beginning of this episode that um, that that uh, Bendai is not something that happens to a lot of Vulcans. Like, even if a Vulcan lives to be over two hundred, it's only going to hit Vulcans who live to be over two hundred. But it's not every Vulcan who lives to be over two hundred. In fact, it almost never happens. So nobody's really looking for this, right? Right. And so, you know, Sarah gets a little, a tiny bit testy. Well, I mean, Vulcans have emotions. They just guard them. But he's 200 years old. So, you know, if he lets that down a little bit, that's fine. And, and, and you know, they're halfway through <laughs> this big thing before they realize he's actually not well. Yeah. And, I mean, just sort of that, I mean, that it's sort of like a double tragedy there, I think. Not only are they losing this guy, but they didn't even see it coming. They didn't even see it happening until it's, until maybe it's beyond the, uh, on the point they could have done something. Of course, they mentioned well, I think, that Bendai is not even a thing they can do anything about, but still. But I think that's the thing that is so universally real about this episode. And we've talked about this over the last couple of episodes. Like, here are character traits that that even they even though they might be kind of amped up for a Star Trek character, there's still something at the heart of it that is so real, that it is so identifiable. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really like about this is because, all right, Either they didn't know or they were in denial about not just Sarah's condition, but about the best way to handle his condition. So here you have Sackoff taking it on himself to say, no, I'm going to help this person in the best way that I know how. And maybe the best way that I know how is not to go to medical professionals, not to let his wife know, not to let Key know, but just keep doing what I'm doing. And even if there had been little, like you said, little telltale signs, Sarah gets a little testy or, or something like that. The idea that people can still brush that off and be in denial themselves about what's happening. I mean, do you want to be the person who says to Sarah, even on a good day, hey, we should get you to the doctor? <laughs> you probably don't yeah you probably don't you know it, Sarek, I, I think you're not as good at this as you used to be i don't want to get into that argument with Sarek. yeah so i, See, I, I also think your dad your granddad your mom your grandmother i mean it, it's exactly. all too horribly applicable to exactly to yeah all of and, us. And, and i think that that's why the the kind of moral ambiguity here not not that anybody is acting immorally but but the the sort of ethical ambiguity what is really the right best course of action particularly when you're dealing with somebody who everybody respects but you see these little signs mm-hmm. and and then you you complicate it with the job with the mission um yeah, I, I, I don't want to jump ahead here as to what I thought about the episode, but I think that's the heart of the episode here and the heart of, of what makes this an intriguing thing to talk about. Um, one last thing that I want to mention here, and, and I brought it up before briefly in the observations, I'm more than a little intrigued at the idea of all this underlying antagonism <laughs> with the crew <laughs> just all the time. I mean, we've seen this before where where it, it, they're sitting in Tim Ford and they're having a drink and, oh, well, you know, we're just having a nice, pleasant conversation. But underneath that, there's some antagonism about something. 
And the only difference between a 24th century Starfleet crew and us is just that they're better at holding it in and deferring. That seemed to be what I got out of this episode because I, I, I still want to know when Jordy and Wesley have that argument, do they remember what they said to each other the next day? You know, I feel like this, all of this stuff, all these arguments are having, even Beverly, even Beverly really lashing out at Wesley. We've never seen that before. Hmm. She's carrying that around in her somewhere. Having said goodbye to Spock's father, it is time now to see what we have learned from Sarek. Comes the time in the episode where we uh, hit a couple of questions, like about the messages, morals, and meanings of the episode, and whether or not the whole thing holds up. Hello, these many years later. Sarek. John, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? You know, in so many ways, yes. And and it's not a matter of looking at this in terms of a a good or a bad episode, but rather that it's an incredible character drama, Um, a, a study on this idea of aging and dignity and something we really haven't seen play out since The Wrath of Khan and maybe a little bit in Star Trek six, although that was more about attitude, not about actual aging. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the word I kept coming back to is heartbreaking. It's just so utterly heartbreaking, but it's not sad in some kind of sentimental or manipulative way. And, And this is the kind of ambiguous ending that I really like. There's no miracle cure. There's no fix them in the transporter. You know, there's a simple goodbye. And, and leaving Sarek as we want him in our memories. And what happens to him after that moment? Well, a, as far as just shooting this episode, we don't know. Hmm. And, and there's something really, uh, really heartfelt and heartbreaking about that moment that I, I think was carried out with so much dignity. And it was such, a, such an interesting way to come back to a character that we had met before and really needed to be fleshed out. Um, more than what we had had of him on screen up until this time. Um, Like I said before, referencing that scene with the crying Vulcan at the concert, I think you get the most out of it when you know the backstory, when you've already seen more of Sarah, can you know what that Vulcan baggage is like coming into it? Um, But it is, uh, yeah, I I think it's a terrific episode. How about you? Yeah, it's amazing to me that there was... um thought that this might not be Sarek. I have no doubt that they could write a good episode that would deliver, you know, sort of the same messages and isn't that kind of sad. But we got 20 years with Sarek's kid mm-hmm. at this point. Um, and my friend's parents were, I, I didn't have any friends whose like parents were, oh, they, and she was just like my mom, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm conscious of, of who my friend's parents were. And when something happens to my friend's parents, I mean, that, that, that affects me because yeah, it's of part course. of my childhood. It's part of, it's part of you know, all that stuff. And so the idea that you're just going to be like bring in, you know, random admiral whomever mm-hmm. and, and make this a story that actually resonates with people. Yeah, you can do it. But that's Spock's dad. And, yeah. and, and, and to see that happen to somebody that you no and it's a character i get that but but this is somebody that we've known off and on for 20 something years 
Mm-hmm. And 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 I mean, if for no other reason, this episode holds up in that respect. I mean, as long as he doesn't come back and like you know, like you know, John Flashart or something, and he saves the day and he shoots people, and you know, <laughs> it's like right, right. it ended up being like some. This is not Sarek at all. This is a perfectly believable way for Sarek's life to go, and it's a sad way for Sarek's life to go. Um, yeah. But it's a perfectly believable way for it to go, and so. All of these messages that I have no doubt a good writer could have delivered with random character that we've never met before, they just they they just can't help but land when it's yeah. when it's because I mean you know Spock's awesome we love Spock and that's Spock's dad so yeah. on on some level he must be awesome although it'd be neat if he showed it from time to time but still um, it's 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 yeah I mean this episode holds up incredibly well. I think. Well, like I said, that, that other word that I kept coming back to other than heartbreaking was dignity mm. because it's the study of the idea of aging with dignity. But I, I felt like that was put just as much on the other characters as it was Sarek. The idea of, okay, dignity being this thing that other characters get to give to this person who is in need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought that was the really beautiful part of it because – not everybody has exactly the right answer. They're just all kind of grasping. And, and you've got uh, Sackett viewing this as a thing of duty and a thing of logic. And then you've got Perrin, who, who is you know, devastated by the news, but she's standing by her husband the way that she believes that she can afford him dignity. And, of course, the, the, the mission itself. Here's uh, Picard putting himself on the line for the sake of the mission, but also Sarek's dignity in doing that mission. I, the, the whole thing ties together so expertly, and it lets the other characters really shine in, in their relation to Sarek. And that's this is one of those rare episodes where the ensemble really works as a unit, you know, in support of this character. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just fantastically done. What about messages? I don't want to uh, be all Chip Douglas here, and I don't mean Chip Douglas from My Three Sons. I mean Chip Douglas from The Cable Guy. <laughs> okay. Sarek is our dad, you know, in some ways. He's not everybody's dad necessarily, but again, he was your friend's dad because Spock was your friend. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so you can sort of transfer that to the idea of you know, the person that you think you know isn't necessarily the person that you know, right? Yeah. I mean, Sarek has always been how Sarek has always been. And and you would think he was just a perfect Vulcan, but once we actually get to be literally inside his head via Picard, I mean, there are all these things that he wishes he had said, that he wishes he had done, that he wishes he could do. Again, not unlike um, Kirk in, I guess, the Corbomite maneuver I was told the other day when Kirk's like, oh, I wish I could do this, but I've got this thing. Mm-hmm. I've got the ship. I can't have a girl, whatever. Uh, Sarek has all of these feelings that he's walking around with and logically Spock may know that, but he doesn't actually know them. Right. And it just, you know, that whole idea that, yeah, you may think, you know, that person, whoever that person is, but you can't, you can't know uh, everything about them was kind of an interesting idea to me. Um, we've talked before about not being dead set on one course of action. And Sarek is set on one course of action here, which is one of the ways that Picard knows that something's wrong with Sarek because, you know, Sarek is always, said according to Picard that there are always options so I guess boiling that down to a message um, I don't know that I personally believe that there are always options but one you know should certainly seek other options if if the one that you're pursuing isn't viable and you know be open to the possibility of other options as well and I guess the last one that I had um, it's okay to need help and it's okay to seek help um, as Sarek does with Picard 
um, it was it was you know good that Picard was able to go to him and say. I mean, granted, it took uh, it took Perrin actually bringing up the idea that Picard was able to go. Listen, we we can actually do this together. You can't do this, but that doesn't mean this thing can't be done. We can do this together. Um, and you know, that's always a, a good message to remind oneself of. I think. Yeah, I I, I kind of go with that too. I, I like that last one um, uh, about needing and seeking help, and and I'll say there's another part of it which is about being honest, being honest about yourself and about your shortcomings. A brave face is one thing, mm-hmm. but there comes a time when you have to admit to yourself and others the reality of your situation. And, and again, I wouldn't want to be the person to have that conversation with Sarek, mm-hmm. but, but it, it had to happen. you know. And then hopefully Sarek is a strong enough mind, given what he's got, that he can make decisions on his own uh, about what the, the next course of action would be. Everyone in this show is respectful of Sarek as an elder, and I, I don't think that's ever in question here at all. Um, they're all hit with the sadness that comes from the recognition that that even the greats are still all too human. And maybe that's one of those ongoing things with, with Star Trek and with, with the Vulcans really not being Vulcans because, well, we might say it, there's no such thing as Vulcans. <laughs> but, but the idea of Vulcans being being a stand-in for an aspect of humanity. You know, Vulcans being this idea of humans struggling with their emotional and their, their logical sides, and that as strong as somebody is, as stoic as somebody is at the core, there, there's still this seething emotional mass that, uh, well, maybe in Sarek's case, needs a hug. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, yeah. I would you say know, I would rather himself. tell him that he can't do his job than say, Sarek need to hug. You need a hug. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why Perrin is there. That's true. They, they, they have some kind of a relationship, some kind of a loving relationship. And, and that is nice to see played out as well. You know, again, it's not like a, a hit you over the head with a message kind of episode. But, yeah. but it's this really thoughtful rumination on this whole idea of, of getting older and how we treat people and and again just beautifully played out i agree mission log is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry you can find out more at roddenberry.com tons of stuff there things to buy things to read um you can actually link to the good work that the roddenberry foundation is doing as well so roddenberry.com one address so many options for more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, can menage a Troy? Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11. Online at Warp11.com. And from the album Messages by Key Theory. Free to download at kitheory.com. As tough as Sarek is on Spock, it could be worse. Sarek never mentions Cybok. Not even once. And transmission.